If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. All right, folks, welcome back. Week 5, you know who it is. Matt Kennerly hanging out there in California. Jeremy Moss here, M at WCWire.com, and we're talking... More conference games and college football, right? That's what we do. This one's football. Basketball? No. Football only here. Yeah, and, you know, before we get into everything week five, uh, I do want to bring up something. I don't know if maybe you saw it on Twitter the other day, but, you know, one of our blogging compatriots, Brian Towell, who, if you followed Corn Nation over at SBNation.com, you might be familiar with his work, Um but he passed away on Wednesday, and his family is trying to raise money to cover funeral expenses and everything like that. And he's been a friend to our staff in the past. Like I know that I did a Nebraska Q and A with him when you know both times Nebraska played uh, the Fresno State in the last few years. So you know he's you know he's one of us more or less. And so if you would like to be able to contribute. Um, check out his Twitter page. Uh, it's at Brian R. Towel, and that's spelled T-O-W-L-E. And, you know, his family pinned a tweet with a link to his GoFundMe page. So if you, whatever you can contribute, you know, I know Big Red Nation has definitely gotten behind the venture. But if you can give something, it would, you know, mean a lot to me, and I'm sure it would mean a lot to everybody else on the staff as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, if I know money can be tough, but even if you just share it on social media, because I've had like similar thing years ago. Well, I had to try to get some money for a service dog. People, I'm like, if people just share it, because people find it. Like, if if you can't give a dollar or five dollars or whatever, I see people give like two hundred dollars. Very generous people. I wouldn't feel bad if you can't, because you always can't. So give it a retweet on Twitter, share it on Facebook. Part of the reason they're, he's in Texas right now, that's where he's been living. I guess they're trying to get him back to Nebraska. Yeah. And that's expensive because funerals are what typically about 10 grand or so, but to ship a to ship a casket and everything, mm. that's that gets up there. And he's also up like there's one time that's really great. We've chatted on Twitter a ton. I forget what bowl game it was cuz like I said he's in Texas. What is it the it's, I think it's he's there's a bowl game in Dallas. Was it the one that's not the Cotton the Heart of Dallas Bowl Ticket City Bowl, whatever. He re- applied for credentials, assuming everybody like had Nebraska going there. Was like, he's like, sweet. I'm going to go to get to go to another Nebraska game without having to pay a ton of money. It's just down the road for me. Well, apparently they didn't go to that bowl game, but he got approved for credentials. I think his Air Force ended up in that bowl game. And he had no, just no questions asked. Send me an email. Hey, I'm going to be there anyways. Nebraska can't be there, or Nebraska is not going there. Can I do something for you? And so, yeah, he went to the game. He... Wrote a couple articles for us. Great guy. Did stuff for, again, Nebraska football and other stuff as well. But if you're able to, it's 
it's sudden. It sucks. But, yeah, again, his Twitter account, Brian R. Tal, T-O-W-L-E. There's a GoFundMe there, a picture of his family. If you can share it, awesome. You give money, even more awesome. But it just sucks when that happens so suddenly because, this tw- like, going through his Twitter account, I saw him like, holy crap. Because I know he'd been in the hospital here and there for whatever various things. Like, one of his recent tweets was like, yeah, I finally feel great because I could take a shower. And when by the time I saw it, it was 12 hours before that I heard about the news that he passed away. So that kind of sucks. It seemed like he's actually feeling better for a minute, and then things went south quickly, I guess, with blood clots, it looks like. So, fortunately, it stinks, but, yeah, do what you can. If you can go help him out, that'd be appreciative. So, there's not really a good way to uh, maneuver, so let's just we just get to it, I guess. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump into it. So, mwcwire.com, that's our stuff. That's our website, Twitter, Facebook. We're very close, Matt. Very close to 1,000 Twitter followers. We made a huge jump in the last couple of days, and thank you to all of our new followers out there. If you're listening to us for the first time, go give us a follow. You won't regret it. Yeah, follow, five-star. We had one guy, we got a conversation. He's like, are you guys really for the conference, or do you get behind one or two teams? And I made the I eventually made the joke, yeah, we're biased against your team. But I mentioned we do a good – we do the best we can to cover every team equally as much as possible. However – we did say, like, for example, the Aztecs are a top 20 team. There might be more articles on the Aztecs because more popular teams get more coverage or Josh Allen to the draft, whether he's going to do good or not do good. Whereas, say, sorry, San Jose Spartans, but you're not that great this year. The coverage may – we'll still do articles. We still have people going to the games. We have Ana going to the press conferences, so there's coverage there. But I told him we, we lean toward play the hits, essentially. So if teams are doing better – there's more content, so, but Boise State, Air Force, New Mexico, we do it all. We do as best we can, and if you've just found us out, we started our basketball podcast. I had a few personal issues, couldn't get it going this week, but Air Force and Boise State season preview will be up with me and Eli Betker, who does great stuff for hoops if you're a basketball guy and say, hey, they got a podcast. Well, we got football and basketball and other stuff, so iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, tune in. Like we say, five stars. I don't care what you say about us. Just give us five stars. There you go. You can say we suck. I saw the five stars. <laughs> um, one more thing really quick I actually want to mention. Cause we, we know we have a lot of people listening to this. Maybe I should have we did, should have done a soft transition about Puerto Rico real quick. after Because it's not the best news of the hurricanes and stuff going on down there. Former Rams player um, with the Dallas Mavericks now. is it, It's Gene Clavel. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. I think it's Gene because it's G-I-A-N. He set up a GoFundMe to help out because he's from Puerto Rico. And the country's basically mush for the most part. Like, I've read some stuff where you can't get diesel, you can't get gas, hospitals are closed down, there's no AC. You can only take cash and people, even though their prescription is 25 cents a pill, they can't get it because you can only pay cash and power grids down, can't use your ATM. So he has a GoFundMe as well to help out people in Puerto Rico. That's a good cause as well. Again, if you can't give money, just share it if you can on social media because who knows who follows you or may give you a retweet or something. So if you can do that, um, that'd be, hey, help people out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right, football now. Friday night. One of the more awkward trophies to take back with you if you win, the old wagon wheel, Utah State, BYU. Also one of the more awesome trophies to take back with you. True, man. The conference, they have some pretty good trophies. The Paulino Trophy, you got the uh, um, Fremont Rifle. You have the uh, your favorite, probably, Fremont Cannon. Mm-hmm. Is the oil can, is that, Fre- or is the milk can Fresno San Diego State? 
Now, the oil can is Fresno and San Diego. The milk can is Fresno and Boise. Boise. And then there's the V for Fresno, San Jose State, right? The Valley or the something? The Valley Trophy, yeah. Okay. Does Boise State have a trophy besides the milk can? Not that I could think of off the top of my head. There's probably people screaming at their radios right now. They should make one for Boise BYU since they're basically on the schedule forever. Yeah. But this game, you got BYU Utah State. I've seen in person that giant wagon wheel, probably because it's the only trophy uh, BYU has. Because I guess the old Beehive boot is not available anymore. It doesn't really count since Utah State, Utah BYU don't play each other every year. Mm-hmm. Oh, real quick, real quick on this. One of our guys, Ryan Swanson, is doing a bunch of unique stuff. He wrote a big piece about the uh, old wagon wheel the other day. Should so check that out as well. It's kind of going back, uh, talking about old articles, old, old newspaper clippings, discussing this game. But this game, typically, I know BYU fans very well. As you, well, yeah, we all know who who they are. Some are great social media BYU fans. Um, I may take a hard pass on most of those guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I saw a tweet. They have the they have a really great student session called the Rock Roar the Cougars. They put out a tweet about like questioning: Is this really a rivalry? And everybody jumped on it. It's like, is it really the time to bring this up when you can't when you lose to your Okay, honestly, Utah-BYU, much bigger rivalry. That's their main rival. You can have more than one rivalry, right? We've rattled off how many of trophies, Matt, right? Five, six, seven trophies? Oh, yeah. You can have more than one. And people jumped on them quickly about, hey, how about you beat your, your other rival? Or does Utah really count? Or I chimed in, maybe this isn't the best year to bring this up since you lost to Utah six, seven times in a row. <laughs> and, well, while BYU's had, had had the better of Utah State this year, I don't know what to make of this game. It's in Romney Stadium, or excuse me, ESPN fooled me. It's Maverick. It's what is it? Oh, shoot, Merlin o- Maverick Stadium at on Erlin. Oh shoot, no, 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 Merlin Olson Field, I believe. Former Little House on the Prairie star. If you mm-hmm. didn't know that, um, six p.m. Friday night, CBS Sports Network. Another reason for BYU fans to complain because it's on CBS SN. But. My biggest thing of the game, I know I'm dominating. Sorry about this, but open at six, six and a half. It's now one and a half for BYU. That's it. That, I mean, it both surprises me and doesn't surprise me. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, we talked a lot about BYU in our preseason previews because, you know, the Cougars are going to be facing a lot of different Mountain West teams this year. And in, in thinking about everything that you had said, about what you expected the Cougars to look like this year. You know, now we're a month into the season, and this is the first Mountain West matchup of, like, five or six. So my question for you is, having seen what you've seen of BYU so far, have they met your expectations? They have been basically exactly what I thought they were. Defense is pretty good. Offense is a steaming pile of garbage with their freshman tight end, Matt Bushman, being the only playmaker on the team. And I've called that back when I used to actually cover BYU more closely, but that's all they have. They have this guy, they're, they're waiting forever for this guy, Jody Trinaman, a former Utah State commit, you know, who, I, who I saw play in high school years ago when I covered high school for a bit. He's a track star. If you saw them play Toledo a couple, last year, had a huge like 60-plus yard gain, gain or touchdown. He's fast in the field. Can't catch the ball. These guys can't catch the ball. They're running back. Jamal Williams, who's now getting some time with the Packers tonight, I believe, with Ty Montgomery out. Any team replaced the NFL running back is going to be tough, but if it's going to be Squad Canada, no. They have um, 
Kalen Hall. They have all these guys back there who aren't doing much of anything. And now, add on to it, Tanner Mangum has been out for a while. He got injured at Wisconsin game, and they have this guy, Bo Hodge. So, yeah. So, is do we know for sure that Mangum is still going to be out with the concussion? Because mm. in looking at the depth chart, he's still listed number one at quarterback. Um, no, it's Bo Hodge. Okay. It's, I don't know if they're not updating it, but he's out for at least, I think I, I heard, three to four weeks. But he's not playing. Okay. So, did you get a chance to see last week's game where Hodge made his first start? I did not tune into that matchup. Two weeks ago, actually. Or two weeks ago, yeah. Week, when they were playing Wisconsin, right? Yeah. I seen him in practice a bit, and he was by far away ahead of anybody else, like Corey Detmer, who's the number three, by far ahead of that guy, but I did not see him last week. Did you happen to tune in for a minute to see what was going on? I did not get a chance to, but, you know, in looking at a lot of the numbers, a lot, you know, you, you, whether you want to look at you know traditional numbers or advanced numbers, a lot of what you say about this offense, I think, rings true, regardless of whatever you're looking at, because... You know, if you go by Bill Connolly's five factors over at Football Study Hall, for instance, by efficiency, they're 118th in the country on offense. By explosiveness, they're 124th. You know. Wait, 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 wait. There's six teams not as explosive as it. They're less explosive. That's hard to believe. This team didn't pass. <laughs> this team didn't pass midfield versus LSU, who got creamed by Mississippi State. Yeah, they're one. 100- also, hold on. What? Okay. Really quick, the injury mis- uh, update. I actually found something. I, when you say concussion, I'm like, that didn't sound right. He had a lower leg injury against Utah. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was a concussion. I apologize for um, that. It's okay. And I just happened to see. I was double-checking. Um, he's no longer in a scooter. And they're being coy about it. Ty Detmer's saying he's getting better. But I odds of it, they said he could be out a month. Mm-hmm. And so Utah game, last week of bye week, this is basically week two on a Friday night. I would still say he's not playing. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, so to kind of go down the line, like, you know, they're 99th by standard down sack rate. They're, you know, it's, it just hasn't been pretty so far. And maybe some of that has to do with the level of competition because, you know, they went on the road basically to, you know, get a beating from LSU. They got New Orleans. Yeah, and then they played a tough, close loss against Utah and then, you know, went home against Wisconsin and got pounded in you know, oddly enough, the same kind of way that Utah State got pounded by the Badgers. So I guess I'm wondering, like, is this really as bad as the offense is? Or is there is it are the numbers being depressed a little bit because the defenses that they played so far are like really good defenses? I would say a little bit, but here's the thing, like when they played Utah, they actually put up some points. Go back to their if you want to really look at something, look at Portland State. They only put up 20 points against Portland State. Yeah, that makes <laughs> That's fair. And, it, yeah. and, it, and it's not a very good Portland State team either. Like, they used to have this guy who last year was, I knew his I knew his brother, the quarterback, Alex. I was, uh, no, uh, yeah, Alex Cressa, pretty good. FCS standards and stuff, but they didn't do much of anything versus Portland State. They, that game, 20 points. That's it. Defense is pretty good because they held Utah, whose the offense looks to be getting better and better, depending. They have quarterback issues with their injury there. But they held Utah to field goals, which is good. But I no, I think it's the offense is that bad. It's it, not it's yes, part of it is the competition, and I expect them to have some success against Utah State, but their offense has shown me literally nothing this year. Utah game maybe a couple things, because I watched mo- pretty much all of that game, but 
Mangum in that game, yeah, Utah's defense is way better than Utah State. He was only 21-39, had three interceptions, and they only ran for 63 total yards against Utah. And this was a game their defense did everything they could to keep him in. It was 19-13. to So, okay, here's another question for you to kind of reinforce that point. Do you know where the Cougars rank in scoring offense right now? Uh, 129th. No. 130th? They are 130th. They are dead last. <laughs> Not surprising. Nine, They're averaging. 9.8 yard, 9.8 points per game so far. I mean, and what's really mysterious is like if you if you sort by by yards, not yards per tackle by you know tackles for loss allowed they've actually been pretty good in that regard like you know by the raw totals i think they're like in the top 20 or something like that but i think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that the offense just hasn't been very good like you know when he was healthy mangum didn't really take that many sacks and you know bo hodge was maybe a little bit worse in that regard you know just by virtue of you know being a raw quarterback stepping in for the first time but yeah, I mean, if there's no strengths on this offense, it does make it really a really interesting opportunity for the Utah State defense because, you know, they've been a little bit hit or miss so far this year. Like they were obviously on their game against Idaho State and San Jose State, but, you know, they weren't able to hold up against Wisconsin and they looked dreadful for the entire time against Wake Forest. So I'm curious to see, like, you know, if we actually think the BYU offense is that bad, then, you know, the promise of this Utah State defense is going to have to come out at some point, and this is probably their best opportunity to, to make that happen. All right, quick question for you. You, you won't get this right, but you're going to be shocked. I'll just tell you because there's no way you'll guess this. When BYU played LSU, they only ran 38 plays. Wow. Yeah. Wisconsin... 46 plays. They are terrible on third downs because, like I said, there is literally, and this is not us like bashing on BYU or anything, they have no strength. Like, even Tater Mangum, for people around here, like, oh, he was Elite 11 MVP with Jameis Winston. Yeah, that was a long time ago. He has, t- I know it's who you're playing and everything, it's tough competition, but he's completing 54% of his passes. They're rushing yard and four picks, by the way, too. Five yards attempt. They have a running back squad in Canada, who I thought would be pretty good. 118 yards for the season. They're probably going to run this guy, Ula Tulatau, quite a bit freshman, who I guess he was with Utah for hot seconds. He mm-hmm. picked up 13 carries last week. He could be pretty good. He will get the ball a lot running this game, and as will Canada. Those are going to be the two main backs. But... Canada only had three carries last week, so I look for Ula to be the main guy running the ball. But this offense, like if Utah State's defense does anything at all, they're going to be fine stopping them because it's Matt Bushman on, on receiving a tight end, by the way, and they have this guy talent showing like 12, 12 receptions. That's it. Everybody else, like their main guy, they think this guy's going to be great. Jordan Tournament, four receptions. That's all. I think where this game is going to turn, you know, if, if Utah State is able to get stops on defense – to me, I think that what's going to happen in this game is going to depend a lot on whether Utah State can get those explosive plays that you know they were able to get against San Jose State and had none of against Wake Forest. You know, and in the same way that you know the defense has been up and down, like the offense has been even more schizophrenic. 
you know, because, you know, against the Spartans and against Idaho State, they were above six yards of play. And against Wisconsin and Wake Forest, they were below four and a half yards per play. So, you know, while on the whole, I think they they rank like fourth or something in the Mountain West by yards per play. The actual, or rather they, they rank eighth. Sorry, excuse me, I was looking at the wrong column. But, you know, we don't actually know like just how good this offense is yet. And we know that BYU, for all the problems they have on offense, we know they still have playmakers on defense who maybe they're playing into an unenviable situation right now. But, you know, I've seen Corbin Kalfusi play a few times, and, you know, I know that he's pretty good. You know, you've mentioned Fred Warner and Butch Powell uh, yeah, in the past. Yeah, Troy Warner, yeah. And, you know, a guy like Sione Takitaki, who's had four and a half tackles so far. So it's not as though this defense is devoid of talent. And then so I'm, it's, I think Kent Myers, first of all, is going to have to take care of the football. You know, he has six interceptions, which is probably not what a lot of Aggies fans expected. But, you know, if he can get, if he can make plays to the receivers in space, I think this is a big opportunity for a guy like Jordan Nathan, who, you know, has 16 catches, but he only has 8.3 yards per catch so far. I think they're hoping that someone like him or someone like Gerald Bright can be that big play guy. Because if they can get one of, you know, like a 60-yard catch and run, kind of like they were in the second half against Wake Forest a few weeks ago, that might be all the difference they need in this game to really keep BYU at arm's length on offense. It's true. I think what's I think what's uh, sorry. With like I said, the comp. Am I thinking with the offense? Sorry, folks, but jeez, uh, it's you said they played Wake Forest, blown out Wisconsin. We don't know who this team is. Or not, yeah, Wisconsin. We don't know who this team is. They blow Idaho State and San Jose State. So I think I mentioned in our preview last week. Like this is a game where it's more on their level. Essentially, I think it's going to come down to a couple of things. BYU, even though BYU actually they have pretty good talent in secondary, they've been thrown against quite a bit. And when you're getting thrown against by Austin, um, was it Austin Hornibrook and whoever LSU trots out a quarterback who's not very good, probably. If you're getting beat up by those guys in the passing game, Kent Myers is better than Austin Hornibrook, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And the way Utah State last week, I know it was San Jose State, but what did they throw to? Eight receivers, nine receivers last week? Uh, yeah, gonna, it was something absurd like that, yeah. They're going to want to spread the ball out, and it depends. Maybe El Toro Allen will do something good in the ground him and a combination of Lawan Hunt running the ball well. Because my thinking, like, going into the, doing stuff for BYU research or secondary should be really good. Like, people are saying Fred Warner, NFL guy. He's one of a few guys out in the secondary, but, again, if Wisconsin chucks it against you, score points. But it's going to come down to, I think, Utah State has to have a running game of some sort. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a low-scoring game, and I think it's going to be whoever can – I know it's cliche, but win the turnover battle, simple. But getting short fields is going to be a big deal because neither neither of these offenses are that great. I think Utah State has more potential to be good than BYU offensively, especially the Cougars with the backup quarterback, all the running items I mentioned before about the lack of running game and lack of wide receiver. All Utah State really has to do, if you shut down uh, Matt Bushman, all right. Prediction time, I guess. We've talked enough about this game. It's gonna like I said, it's gonna be low scoring. The over under, um, what is it, forty five and a half? I want to say forty eight. That's a low over, low over under. Uh, it's actually more than Texas State Wyoming, which is interesting, but <laughs> by a couple. I'm gonna say 
my buddy Mitch Harper, who does stuff for B, like Athlon and Rivals, he's predicted a Utah State victory. I wonder if he's just very sour because of how bad they're playing. He has 28-17, Utah State. I'm going to say, I called this stupid upset pick in our big preseason show. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go 21-17, Utah State. I think that in, in looking over the numbers and in seeing what I've seen of both teams so far this year, I'll take I'll take the inconsistent offense over the DOA offense. <laughs> it may take a while for this one to, to be squared away. I kind of expect it to be competitive into the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Utah State won this game. I have them winning, let's say, 20-17. to 17. Oh, we're pretty much on, on par there. Yeah. All right. I just think the difference will be uh, is really going to be what Kent Myers can do on offense. Well, actually, make it more simple. Run the ball well, and Kent Myers has to be accurate because that's about all I think it really takes for Utah State to get a victory. BYU's defense is pretty good, but they've been able to be thrown against. They've given a lot of points. Maybe there's a confidence thing there with them sitting at one and three. They're not really going to get up too much for a, a kind of rival game, whatever you want to say about it. But, sorry folks, I'm yawning for some reason. It's getting late. But, it's at Logan, and Utah State's been on a little bit of a dud streak against these Cougars, losing, I think, three in a row. But, I think they're going to get take care of business because BYU's offense is that bad. It may, it may not be a pretty win, but, you know, it's a win. Aggies, yeah. Plus, I want to see. I want to know who these Aggies are because we don't really know yet. There you go. All right, Saturday afternoon, no morning games. Um, let's just say, get your um coffee, energy drink, caffeine ready for the nightcaps because we got four games that kick after eight p.m. But two p.m. non-conference game: Texas State at Wyoming, Facebook Live game. So that's always something, right? Hey, you know what? It's free. It's available freely. Hard to complain. Let's hope Stadium gets the um, clear picture in. Um, so you got Texas State, Sun Belt, one and three. They've only beat Houston Baptist early in the season. I'm kind of surprised. This is uh, I don't know, sixteen and a half line. Is that kind of shocking to you a little bit? Is that too much? Not enough? I feel like maybe it's a little too high, if only because you know there's still a lot of questions for Wyoming on offense, especially. You know, we spent a lot of the, you know, the recap of last week's show kind of discussing Josh Allen and and what we expect of him going forward. And this is the type of game where Texas State, you know, I think they probably bottomed out last year. And, you know, the Bobcats, I think, are still a work in progress in year two of the Everett Withers era. And you could kind of see that just, you know, they hung tough against Appalachian State, but they took a step back in getting hammered at home by Texas San Antonio last week. So Wyoming should be able to win this game pretty comfortably, but 16 does surprise me considering how erratic the offense has been. I want to see, again, like I I, I have already said I'm officially, I, I can come back on, but I don't care what people say. I'm off the Josh Allen hype train. One thing you want to do, like, we're not going to discuss him too much, but who was that Twitter account? Shoot, that just did a huge recap. Was it NFL study, film study? Because I saw you retweeted it as well. Uh, it was Ian Withers, Withers, wasn't it? Yeah, but his Twitter handle something else here. He went through and did, um, what, five, six, seven, eight little videos or clips 
breaking them down a little bit here and there. There's Ian, Ian Morton, like, by the way, at NFL Film Study. NFL Film Study, yeah. And his main takeaway, like, I hopped into his mentions real quick, and he put, quote, regression. Part of it is because of talent, because Gentry is so good in others. But he did, he was kind of like me. Like, he didn't think he's that good last year. We And we discussed that as well. Where we've, you've heard it a million times from us. Interceptions, passing percentage wasn't great. But even versus Gardner-Webb, he mentioned he didn't play well. And Allen, this is a game where the offense, offense in general, not just Josh Allen, but who's going to run the ball? True. Who's going to do Woods this? going to run the ball. Well, but you know what I mean. Like, are they going to have a good game running the ball? Our receivers are going to drop passes because there's a lot of drop passes this year, and that's what some people who are still on the Josh Allen bandwagon saying, well, receivers are dropping the ball. Yeah, but at some point he still needs to make plays himself. Mm-hmm. But, like, what does, te- does Texas State even present any sort of threat, really, for the uh, Cowboys? Not really. I mean, especially on offense where they're, you know, their quarterback Damian Williams is only completing 54% of his passes. You know, he has an 8% sack rate, which is, you know, it's it's okay. But, you know, considering, you know, the promise that this defensive front has, maybe it's worth noting that they are going to be, if, I'm trying to remember who I read about, but they are going to be without a few different starters in this week's game. Um, you know, Caden Jackson is going to be out. Um, I'm trying to find the other ones. I believe Kevin Prosser was another one who's going to be out. I'm trying to bring up this article real quick and stalling as I do. Um, Sydney Malaulu is going to be out. Kevin Prosser is going to be out. Ryan Cummings is going to be out. So they're not going to be at 100%. But this is, you know, I mean, it's more or less an opportunity for the next man up to just, you know, go in there, play a good game because they don't really have a great offense. Like Williams is also their leading rusher at the moment. Um, and the defense is really nothing home to write about or nothing to write home about either. Like they do have a couple playmakers in the front seven. You know, Frankie Griffin is definitely a guy to watch outside linebacker. He has a couple of sacks so far and leads the team with five tackles for loss. But, you know, in the same way that I think we all wanted to see Wyoming come out and play a complete game against Gardner-Webb, I see this as being largely the same kind of situation. Like, I want to see a complete game on offense, and I want to see the defense, even if they're not at full strength, go in there and take care of business. As they should. Like, even, like, offensively, they have a couple rushers, but nothing great. Like, running the ball, four guys over 100 yards, but they're all averaging, like, three yards per carry or less. One guy's six, but he has like a 50 yard TD. They, they're, I guess they throw the ball a little bit. They have a couple receivers and they do have some deep threat capability, four passes over 40 yards. So that's something to worry about a little bit is Andrew Wingard, Wingard, who's he going to pick up like Elijah King or Mason Hayes. But overall, like make him throw because he doesn't complete the ball very well. And Damien Williams there. And if they have starters on, on defensive line or defensive front, Maybe this is a game where Woods comes out and has the breaking out party, essentially running the ball, and he's going to be permanently be the running back for Wyoming and being the guy going forward. Yeah. Or excuse me, Woods. Sorry, I'm not sure who I said, but Trey Woods. Yeah, because Texas State does have linebackers that could slow the run game down a little bit, and I mean, if that's the case, you know, we're talking about Josh Allen stepping up to make plays. <laughs> Hold on. Um, Let's play a game. Are you looking at stats at the moment for either quarterback? Uh, not at the moment, no. Okay, between the two quarterbacks, Josh Allen, remember, potential number one overall pick here we're talking about okay. compared to Damien Williams. Um, who would you say has a better quarterback rating? 
Well, I mean, I feel like this is a trick question, and the answer is Williams. 107.6 Williams to Josh on 106.2. Who has a better yards per attempt? Probably Damien Williams. 6.27 Williams, Allen 5.72. Who has a better completion percentage? Probably Damien Williams. Incorrect. Oh, okay. Jeez, you're you're, t- you're terrible. Oh, okay, no. now, pe- now um, people are going to accuse me of hating on Josh Allen. <laughs> they shouldn't be because you're very close. It's almost a tie. Fifty-four point eight for Allen. Fifty-four point four for Williams. I think there's a disparity in the in the level of competition there somewhere. <laughs> come on, come on, Gardner Webb. What did he complete versus Gardner Webb? I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying I, Iowa and Oregon as well. What about Hawaii, though? Well, we'll move on. <laughs> he played worse versus Hawaii than Iowa. Okay, we'll move on. Um, Cowboys win, right? Big. I say thirty to ten. I don't know if it's going to be that much of a margin of victory. It may take the offense a little while to get going. I'm going to say 28-14. Okay, we're close enough, but I sorry to make you feel like do that. No, no, I, noticed fine, fine. I noticed. I noticed they're so close, but also unless I'm um, real quick, I'm going for some nonsense for the moment because there's NFL games going on at the moment. If you're well, you're not listening now, but I'm giving the Butterfinger official Twitter account a follow in a moment here. They put out a tweet, butter, dot, 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 knees. But then the Chicago Bears Twitter account also equally is awesome. says, stick the candy. Huh. <laughs> oh, I thought that was kind of funny. Let's get back. Let's get back to our podcast. People don't want to hear my nonsense, apparently. All right, let's go. Next game, Air Force to Mexico. Not in the Cotton Bowl this year. Not in the Cotton Bowl. On CBS Sports Network. Yeah, 5 p.m. local time. Um... The over-under, if you can get to a Nevada establishment, take the over. It's only 50 points. Really? Only 50 points. They combined for, I want to say, was it 90 points last year? 95, 85, 90 points? It was 45 to 40 last year. Take the over, folks. Take your life. I'm recommending my stone-cold lock of the week. Take your life savings on the over. But don't blame me if they lose. <laughs> well, here's the qu- here's the question, though. Because we, we've talked a lot about Air Force in New Mexico last week about how it was, in a lot of ways, the defense led the way. You know, for New Mexico, it was, you know, their upset win over Tulsa. And for Air Force, it was, you know, giving San Diego State all they could handle. Are these two defenses just maybe a little bit better than we anticipated and maybe a little bit better than they were last year? I would think so because... The big thing about everybody talking about Air Force was they lost 10 of 11 starters. And not only that, but from one of their best defenses, probably in Troy Calhoun's era at the Falcons, which has been about a decade or so. Then they go in and shut down Tulsa, who I don't care about Tulsa, but they're, they're always known for throwing the ball, running the ball very well, just a wide-open offense, Phil Montgomery doing his thing, spreading it out. And, they, and then when they played Toledo the week before, put up 40-plus points. Like I said, they were – Averaging, what was it, 47 points per game going into the uh, New Mexico matchup, and they scored 13, one offensive touchdown. It's much better than Air Force going to Michigan. They hold Michigan to five field goals and five red zone attempts. I would, even, even Wait, I would still take the over, though, regardless. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you know there may be some truth to that because I went back, and over the last three years, I went back and I looked at rush defense because we know that Air Force has had pretty stingy defenses in the last few years. 
So I wanted to see if there was any kind of disparity in how these two teams did when they faced each other. So just I'm going to go over through this real quick. In 2014, Air Force, on a per-game basis, allowed about 3.8 yards per carry on the ground. When they beat New Mexico that year, they gave up 7 yards a carry. In 2015, Air Force allowed 4.2 yards per carry. And when they lost to New Mexico, they gave up 6.7 yards per carry. And then last year, you know, when they lost in the Cotton Bowl, on the, Pinball. On the whole, on the whole year, they gave up 3.4 yards per carry. And in that game, they gave up 6.8. And then, you know, the converse, I think, is mostly true for New Mexico. You know, the, on a per-game basis, they haven't been quite as good in the last few years. You know, last year they gave up 4.7 yards per game, and then they gave up over five against Air Force. And, you know, in 2015, it was 4.5 on a per game basis. So you get the drip. These two teams may have had okay run defenses or solid run defenses, but more often than not, when they faced each other, it's been a track meet. Sure. And even going back to like, I found a good, I, I heard with your piece or what you're talking about. I'm at the ABQ journal real quick. They go back to 2012, gave up 409 yards in 2012. Mm-hmm. Air, and New Mexico ran for 451 in 2013. So it's, it's kind of weird where it's like, Oh, you play triple option team. You should be good, but they never practice against this. They're like any other team when their scout teams out there, when they're preparing for Boise, San Diego state, Utah state, Wyoming, they're not running against triple option. They're running against those pro style offenses out there. You know, oddly enough, what I'm kind of thinking might make the difference in this game is the passing game. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, th- think about it. Like, Arian Worthman, you know, he's you know, he's obviously had a lot of work as a runner so far this year. But, you know, if you take away the VMI game, you know, we talked about it in the recap of last week's games. Like, he hasn't been as accurate of a passer as he was down the stretch last year. Whereas, you know, New Mexico with their new, you know, hashtag throwbos thing, you know, they've they've had three different guys throw a pass, but, you know, they have more touchdowns to interceptions. Or actually, it's four to four, but that's still better than it has been in, in the last, you know, few years. And they're completing over 50% of their passes. Like, they're a lot closer, I think, to where they want to be as a passing attack than Air Force has shown themselves to be in the early going. And, you know, granted, you know, looking at two of 12 passing is like an extremely small sample. But, you know, Worthman may have to show that he can complete a pass to move the chains at some point in this game. And if he can't do it and the Air Force defense struggles to stop this running game in in the same way that they've struggled in the past, that might be all the difference that they need in this game to really keep the Falcons at arm's length. Could they? Could we see Nate Romine if he doesn't throw very well, like the end of the game versus Michigan? Maybe if they're down two scores in the fourth quarter, but again, that depends on you know how efficient Worthman shows himself to be in the early going. Like if he's just not accurate or if he's not getting the ball out fast enough, you know, I think it's also worth noting that yeah, he's only had five sacks, but that's a seventeen percent sack rate right there because because they don't drop back nearly as often as a lot of other teams. And that number two, I believe, is way higher than it was last year. So, you know, I think, you know, 
he has a lot of talent, but in you know those particular ways, he has something to prove. And those things could be critical in this particular matchup. Very true. Also, one thing we kind of glazed over, Jamal, Lamar Jordan's back as a starting quarterback, finally out of concussion protocol. He'll begin to start, which is a – we joked about quarterback last week there. We were scrambling to find out who the number five quarterback was. But he's going to be back and starting this week against the Falcons. That's a big deal. And if he's there and he he threw the ball well against the New Mexico State, well, I guess the percentage was good. He wasn't really getting it in the end zone. But with him back, that's very helpful for this Lobos offense because they're going to Col- or excuse me, Colton Gerhardt. And there's no word he's number three, and there's no word of a uh, Tavaka Tuyati is going to be back for this game. Mm-hmm. So Ger- Gerhardt proved himself fine, but having Jordan back is a big deal. He played last year in that game; that was 45 to 40, familiar with his team, and he, I don't, he could throw well enough, I think. But having him back, it's gonna, it's gonna be a big difference. And this is gonna be a game. I don't know because if you look at history, Air Force is always, or I mean, the Mexico's always just ran, 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 and ran well despite who the running back is. And you, you're right. Make him the, I think it's you're right. Defense and throwing the ball. Low boys are going to throw more than they have in the past couple of years, which we've already seen. But I got to take Air Force because I think they've been challenged a bit more. Because last week's game for San Diego State was kind of weird, that rainstorm. But I think Air Force will go to the fullback dive, but also go back to Tim McVay early and often because this low boys defense is not as fast as the Aztecs and they can get to the edges quicker. I think I like New Mexico because, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, maybe they haven't, you know, the Falcons haven't really been tested with the kind of passing game that I think New Mexico is going to throw at them. You know, obviously the Lobos aren't a pass first team, but. Wait, what do you mean? Tulsa throws the ball a lot. What do you mean not passing a passing team? Well, Tulsa kind of transitioned to being a running team. And I think that, you know, New Mexico showed themselves to be, you know, fairly confident in stopping that running attack last week. But I think that to me, I think there's a potential for someone like Jay Griffin or Chris Davis to have a really big game because, you know, where, how did San Diego state beat air force? They beat them down the middle uh, with the, you know, with the game winning touchdown to David Wells and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, New Mexico is going to try and go sideline to sideline with their passing game. And I don't know that air force, in their secondary is are going to be able to contain them. And all it might take is like one 30 or 40 yard pass to really make a difference. So I fully expect it to be a back and forth game. I kind of expect it to be a one score game, but I like New Mexico and I'm going to say it'll be like 31, 24. Ooh, I'm going, uh, air force 38, 31 points. All, I want all the points. All of them. All right, next game, Nevada at Fresno State. Oh, boy. Um, are you surprised Fresno State's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite on this game? That's uh, it's eight, it's 7 p.m. Pacific. Is this on the Mountain West Network or something? Where's this being aired on? Is it not aired? Uh, oh, AT&T. Yeah. AT&T game. That's right. And I guess you could stream it, but let me get back to my original question. Are you surprised Fresno's favored by almost double digits? I'm going to answer your question with a question from someone on our own staff, Brandon Blake, our Nevada writer. He asks, how would you describe the Nevada quarterback situation? Dumpster fire or grease fire? <laughs> Which one's worse? I say grease fire because I can get out of hand quickly. 
Grease fires can't put. Grease fires come out of nowhere, though. Sure. Dumpster fires, I think. I think have there's a little more deliberacy to them. And they last longer too. Usually, right? So I'm going to say dumpster fire. (laughs) And I I think it's. I mean, I think it's worth talking about kind of the biggest, the big news of the week, which is that. You know, a. You know, we know that Jay Norvell is going back to Ty Ganji for this game as the Wolfpack yeah, starting quarterback. But also that David Cornwell is no longer with the program. I I don't blame him for leaving. He he got into the game, didn't play well at all. His first collegiate passes against Washington State ever, because he never saw the field, I don't think ever at um, Alabama. But here's the thing. He, he didn't play well. He gets demoted to the number three quarterback. So why would – like, he still has a year of eligibility left. So he can go somewhere else and play right away. He's a crowd transfer. And as you mentioned, don't trust him really. You know what I mean? It's like how – unless it's Russell Wilson, who you going to trust, essentially. Jeremiah Masoli didn't work out. Uh, maybe the uh, FCS to FBS guy who was at Vernon uh, Adams in Oregon did okay. But if he's getting jerked around go back to number three – I have no problem with him leaving. But here's the thing that's really crappy about this situation. We mentioned it in the in the recap. I don't care who's your quarterback. Have a plan in place. It seems like Norvell does not have a plan at all. Because he burns a red shirt of Cayman for no reason. Well, I'll say really not a good reason. Because if you burn the red shirt from him, let him play it out. Unless he gets injured or is just totally ineffective and going one of five on four drives, not good. But that's not like totally ineffective and bad. Mm-hmm. It's let him play it out, but you go back to Ganji, who probably who has been their best quarterback, but you burn a red shirt early on in the year, and so stick with the plan. Like I didn't care if it was Cornwell, Ganji, or Cayman, put him, or even the fourth guy people are calling for, whoever that guy is. I don't have his name in front of me, but Griffin Don, yeah, Griffin Don, have a plan, right? I don't care who what it is or what you're doing, have a plan in place and stick with it, because then you can accurately, accurately, accurately quantify how good or how bad you're doing at that position. Mm-hmm. And I would assume they would have gone back to uh, Cayman for this game just because stick with him because he already burned his red shirt. What's the point? But it's Ganji and there should be some success against Fresno State, but I don't know. So here's here's what I think. I think, you know, obviously this is a situation of Jay Norvell's own designing you know, I have to wonder, and I wonder if a lot of other Wolfpack fans think about this, but, like, if if you had just stuck with Ty Ganji, how would the non-conference schedule have played out? Like, would it have been the same? You know, might he have been a little more competitive against Washington State than, you know, than Curitan and Cornwall proved to be? Would they have beaten Idaho State? And, you know, would he have just learned how to be more efficient? Because... You know, like I said, you know, after both recaps against Northwestern and Toledo, I think he's shown himself to be explosive, but he wasn't as efficient as an air raid offense needs its quarterback to be. You know, he obviously had the best, you know, sack rate among any of the three quarterbacks to play so far. Like, I think his, you know, 1.3% sack rate is probably the best in the conference at this point. Obviously, he hasn't had as many dropbacks as a lot of other quarterbacks but i'm pretty sure that's the case but it's that 47 percent completion rate 
Yeah, but he actually moved the ball. Like, if he would have been in, been in there, they would have beaten Idaho State. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of what I'm wondering. And I think that, you know, if he can be as explosive, I'm, I'm looking at this Fresno State secondary, and there's a lot of promise there, but it's still kind of an unknown as a unit, I think, because, you know, we didn't really learn a lot from Jalen Hurts running all over the place against Alabama. And, you know, obviously Ty Ganji is not as good as Jake Browning. Like, Jake Browning basically picked this secondary apart. So, you know, while they do have some talent back there, like Johnny Johnson, who was, you know, a grad transfer himself from UCLA, you know, I think he's probably going to be pretty good. You know, Juju Hughes, there's, you know, some rumblings as to why he's still starting at strong safety rather than corner. You know, he obviously has a lot of promise. You know, Jaron Bryant has had, you know, been a little bit hit and miss. But I think this is probably the best test so far to see, like, you know, on one side, is Ganji going to be able to take a step forward against a beatable secondary? Or, you know, on the flip side, is the secondary going to be able to step up against a beatable quarterback? That, I think, where where this game is going to turn one way or the other. Well, let's. So we're talking quarterbacks. Who's starting for Fresno State? That is a very good question, um, because if you listened to Jeff Tedford's po- uh, press conference earlier this week, both Chase and Virgil and Marcus McMarion are getting first team reps. And if you remember from a previous podcast, you know my my unexpected source at the local Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> um, apparently, boosters told him that McMarion was going to get the nod, but. You know, I've had time to think about it, and I feel like this is Virgil's chance to really prove himself. Because, you know, Nevada, especially, you know, in the secondary as a passing defense, they haven't been very good, you know? And obviously, you know, in the same way that Ganji's not as good as Jake Browning, Virgil's not as good as, as Luke Falk or Logan Woodside. Well, who is, really? Yeah. And so, but this is an opportunity for him to show you know, exactly what kind of quarterback he is. Like, we kind of know what his strengths and his weaknesses are at this point. But I think this kind of defense, you know, where they do have, you know, some pieces with some talent, like Malik Reed started to come on a little bit. Austin Paulus is, you know, having a pretty good September. But this is a defense that's given up a lot of chunk yardage, you know, through the passing game. I'm trying to look up where they rank in the conference. They're dead last as far as 10-yard passing plays <laughs> and 20-yard passing plays and 30-yard passing plays allowed. So you get the idea. This is a golden opportunity for Virgil, and I think he's probably going to be the starter. But, you know, regardless of whoever it is, you know, this is your best chance to really, you know, seize the job and prove that you belong in that role. For sure, because when you look at who they're playing down the road, they do have San Jose State later on. But this is a somehow they're favored by nine nine and a half points, which is interesting. But they have this. I, I would say the next two weeks, this game for sure got Nevada. Then they go to San Jose State. Mm-hmm. But this is a game where Nevada. You're right. Whoever plays better, I I would predict that. I think Virgil will start, but I think both will play a lot. Maybe it'll be a. Uh, maybe first half, second half thing or something where they split reps, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that could be the case in this game. But I think whoever plays better in this game is going to be the starter the rest of the way. And I think another I think another thing that's going to be really important, too, is like regardless of whoever's under center, 
Fresno State's going to have to get the running game going too. And, you know, Nevada's had a little bit of success in stopping the run you know, against some you know, pretty, you know, maybe not world-blowing run attacks, but, you know, they've racked up a lot of tackles for loss. And, you know, Ronnie Rivers has, you know, three starts under his belt, and he's been okay, but, you know, a quarter of his yardage came on one touchdown running against Incarnate Word. You know, he didn't really get to do much against Alabama or Washington. And so this is an opportunity for him as well to, you know, even have the same kind of game that Dontel James was able to have against this defense last year. I mean, if you recall, Fresno State was horrible running the ball last year, but the Nevada game was their best effort the entire season. And so, you know, if Nevada can put Virgil or McMarion in a situation where they have to win the game, that might be in their favor. If Fresno State can find balance, I think that makes it a lot easier for them to hold serve at home. Let me read something to you really quick before, before we get too far off the quarterback situation at Fresno. I find this um, statement from the Fresno be kind of ridiculous. Um, this is from whoever, I don't know, whoever writes, Warzorowski. Uh, he goes, what McMarion brings is a, di- is a dynamic element. He's more willing to scramble downfield, even if that means exposing himself to hits. Okay, fine. Here's where it gets off the rails, in my opinion. That's one advantage of being 204 pounds compared to Virgil's 192. You know that's only 12 pounds, buddy. That's not very much. It's not like he's 240 to 192 or something. Or 225 to 190. I, I'm like, he's reaching pretty far to mention as a a reason why an advantage McMarion may have. I think he's just stretching to find anything. I mean, I think that, you know, the thing with Virgil as a runner is, yeah, he hasn't run nearly as much on a per game basis as he did last year. Like he's only credited with three carries so far, but you know, last year and in his three carries so far this year, he's at five yards per carry. So I'm almost wondering if maybe, you know, the offensive system really wants him to be able to stay in the pocket and create plays that way rather than risking himself with his legs. I'm not sure how much that's the case or not. But again, you know, if, you know, Nevada's able to, you know, if, or rather if the pass blocking is able to create some lanes for him to run, it will be interesting to see if he takes advantage of those or if McMarion's under center, if he does that as well. So we got the quarterback situation going on on both teams, new quarterbacks. Um, I'm going to go back to the over-under. How is this 58.5 points? Is it because they think the defenses are both terrible? <laughs> it's the second highest point, third highest point spread of the week. It does strike me as a little bit high. I So what do you think is going to happen in this game? Well, I'll give mine really quick. I, I think you're right saying Fresno needs a running game. I think this is also, like how you mentioned, Fresno chance for Virgil to win the job. Like, Fresno State's offense isn't, or defense isn't amazing, as we both know that. This is also Nevada's chance to show what they can do on offense. Mm-hmm. Are they, because, look who they played. Like, both these teams have played competition very difficult. They both they played Alabama, they're playing Washington State, Northwestern, whatever. But I would say for Fresno State, just go back to Utah State thing. This is the first game they're playing somebody like-minded competition. Incarnate World, they crush. Fresno playing at Washington, at Alabama. What are you going to do? It's like you can't really tell how good or bad this team is really when you're playing a team that's a top, both top 10 teams. 
So this will be a, for them and Nevada lesser extent because they play Northwestern. But this is a chance for Nevada. Maybe they'll get the guy who can run the ball very well. Maybe they'll actually find receiver guys, receive not receiver guys, receivers down the field who could do something. Excuse me, and make plays. I don't know. Maybe is it Jackson Kincaid going to keep going, counting more, running the ball? Maybe White Dems will have ten receptions. I don't know. But this is a game where I think we'll know a lot more about both these teams because they're playing somebody on the same level. And we'll be able to really, when we do the recap, really know how good or bad these teams are, what their strengths and weaknesses are. But I think the difference is going to be whoever's the better quarterback play, essentially. Because I think the point spread, while it's 58.5, I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. Maybe Malik Reed makes a good defensive play for Nevada. Maybe the secondary for Fresno steps up and does something special. But... I think whoever is better at quarterback is going to win this game. I know it's kind of silly or stupid, but this is a game for if they both guys are going to want to win this job, either Nevada and Ganji. Who knows if we'll see Cayman? That's a very high possibility of us seeing four quarterbacks in this game. And I think whatever quarterback's the best will get the win. So who do you got? <sighs> do I have to? Okay, we'll answer this. Which quarterback do you think will be the best? Do I have to answer that too? You do. <laughs> I, I'll say Ty Ganji, but I'm not super confident about it. So then are you saying Nevada's going to win? What I just said, I probably should lean that way. Yeah, I'll go Nevada. Yeah, sure. They played Toledo pretty tough. Their defense showed a few sparks stopping them in the red zone. So I'll go Nevada um, 24-21. I think Nev- I think Fresno is going to be able to open up the offense a little bit against this Nevada defense. I kind of think that they'll be able to, you know, it may not be pretty. It may take them a while to get going, you know, but, you know, the running game, I kind of expect it to maybe be good, but not great. And, you know, even if Virgil's not, you know, accurate down the field or McMarion, if, if, even if they aren't able to take shots down the field, I think they'll be able to move the ball against this Nevada defense. So, you know, while I think Nevada is definitely the more explosive offense, I do think Fresno will have enough to kind of keep the offense at bay. So I think the Bulldogs will win, and I'll put it, you know, 31-21. That's fine. Are you going to be at this game? It is a home game for Fresno. Yes, I will. You'll be in the uh, press box there. It'll be exciting. What do you expect the crowd to be? Uh, last I checked, it was about 26,000 tickets sold, although if you were listening and you were still on the fence about going... If you buy a ticket, you get two free ears of corn from the Gibson market oh. on campus. <laughs> Wait, how did we not lead with that? <laughs> Which, by the way, it is really good corn, so you should go get a ticket and go get some free corn. So how's the stadium doing? There's, like, water damage. What's going on with that? Uh, there was a pipe break. I believe they just closed one section down for the time being. It's not supposed to affect the game or anything like that. That's all I know off the top of my head. I hear here 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 in a B it says it's closed, portion closed for the game. Yeah, so it's like one section. section. Yeah. Okay, it looks like it's part of section thirty eight, where the marching band sits, and they'll just move to thirty seven. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, not a big deal. It is a student section area, so does that just really matter? Because do students show up still for the red wave? I mean, it'll be a nice night out, so I hope they should come out. Okay. All right, real quick. Um, did you know it's nearly 700 days since they last won an FBS game? Speaking of Fresno, well, um, I believe today, Thursday, it is what 687 days now. 
think so, because on September 19th, 10 days ago, no, 685, right? Um, it was the 19th, and, th- and it's today, Thursday, the 29th, correct? It's all kind of relative. A lot, right? Let's just say that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. So you, you could be right, I could be right. So let's move on. Um, next game, uh, Northern Illinois versus number 19, San Diego State, CBS Sports Network. And this is not your um, Michael Turner... Um, former Husky running back, Turner the Burner, who had hot stuff named after him there in Northern Illinois. This is not the same Huskies team. Not your, Nor Jordan, are they not as your good Jordan as Lynch Huskies. That's right. I was trying to stall to think of the other name. I'm like, Heisman finalist, uh, Jordan Lynch. So they're not as good as last year. They're okay this year, 2-1. and one. Aztecs are coming off the game where they escaped with the weather issues that caused a whole lot of issues. But – they did upset Nebraska, NIU did last um, last game they played. A couple pick sixes, but Nebraska's not very good either, so take what you want from that. Because this same Huskies team also lost to Boston College. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that this is a game that you can really overlook. Like, I don't want to call it a trap game or anything like that. But, you know, San Diego State did expend, like, a lot of effort to really survive in Colorado Springs last weekend and you know northern illinois may not be the same team that they were you know five six years ago they're still pretty solid and i think that a lot of it at least in this year's matchup stems from the fact that you know they have a pretty good front seven you know and especially you get a guy like you know sutton smith who you know has nine and a half tackles in in three or four games so far this year I'm not mistaken that leads the country. I'm trying to look this up as I speak. It might. He's Um, he's second in the country. Okay. So, you know, there are some guys who could be disruptive in a way that, you know, San Diego State hasn't really faced yet. You know, not only him, but a guy like Jawan Johnson, a linebacker, he has five and a half tackles. You know, maybe it's a matter of if they solve Sutton Smith, they can really solve this defense because I'm looking, you know, at the at the you know defensive linemen who have had tackles for loss. And as a unit, by havoc rate, which again, if you're not aware of what that is, it's basically the percentage of plays with, you know, a sack, tackle for loss, you know, anytime anything behind the line of scrimmage basically. Northern Illinois ranks second in the country. But I think a lot of that has to do with Smith. So if the, if this young offensive line, which is, you know, passed every test so far, you know, if they can shut Smith down, I'm kind of thinking this is another easy win for the Aztecs. I I think they could as well because hey, also real quick, did you look at my quarterback rankings? Not to just go way off topic, but see who number one is. I did. Christian Chapman. Well, he's earned it. Number. He has earned it. He. Like, to get the quarterback play, because they're going to need him to win this game. and Not need him, but it's beneficial when he plays well for this team. Because I, it's part of it is, as we said, it's the offense. They're not going to have him throw 28. He's not going to go 30 to 38 in these games. If he gets to tw- about 20 passes per game, that's a high end. And it just helps out, like, Penny and running running the ball. Like, they don't – well, they want Penny to do what he wants to do, get him into Heisman conversation, which he sort of is, but – Having that type of passing game, it's going to make the like I said it before. If they get a good passing game, they're going to be really, really good, and they are. They just got to not make mistakes. Nebraska did. 
And if they have, if like if NIU has that good front seven, gotta be cool under pressure, which he is. He doesn't turn the ball over very much. He's finding receivers like Michael Holder finally stepping up, getting like David Wells back to back game winning touchdown receptions. He's gotta make smart plays, and that's who he is. And I expect them to him when they throw the ball to not have to. They're not gonna have too much of an issue moving the ball that much, I would say. But it's good like to have him be that guy who can actually. You're not scared when he's gonna drop back and throw the ball. I mean, it is kind of interesting, too, that Northern Illinois, I think they have a quarterback who's kind of Chapman-esque in his own right, Daniel Santa Catarina, who, if I'm not mistaken, he took over for Ryan Graham. I don't know if Graham got injured or, or whatnot off the top of my head. But, you know, he's the team's leading quarterback right now. And, you know, you're looking at a guy who completes 67% of his passes. You know, he's only thrown one interception in 56 attempts. And... You know, he's only, you know, he's only been sacked three times so far. So, you know, it may not be as, as wide open and as explosive an offense as it was in the past. But, you know, if they can, you know, move the chains every now and then, you know, it could make it a little more challenging than maybe a lot of Aztecs fans expect. So that would be something I'd be aware of because, Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Like they've always been a good team, so it's not like they're going to be a situation where crap or playing a ranked team. They always, they've always been a good team themselves. Like they're confident they play, and they're just come off the week beating Nebraska on the road. It's like, well, if we can beat Nebraska, San Diego State, their athletes are probably on par. Maybe, maybe some areas not as good as Nebraska, just recruiting rankings and all that fun stuff. But they're going to have confidence going into this another road game. But Aztecs actually have an offense where Nebraska. Well, I guess the Oregon game proves they have a little bit of offense, but Nebraska makes dumb mistakes. Head coach is on the hot seat after this, uh, this loss again. And NIU has confidence going in after beating Nebraska. And it's – I think are going to win. They're going to have an easier time this week than last week for sure, Not and not just because of the weather. I expect Penny to have a big game. I see Chapman do well. But if NIU, if NIU is going to win this game, like if they're going to be able to beat the Aztecs, they cannot uh, – well, I was going to say here, they they can't make mistakes, essentially, because Aztecs, what are, are the Aztecs still a good plus four or whatever on the turnover margin this year? Right now they're plus they five. Plus five. So you can't lose a turnover battle, so you can't cough it up. you got to get your own turnovers as well. Penny, One issue, Penny has put the ball on the ground a little bit. I know he did last week. Rain lost it, but the week before for Stanford, he did, but they luckily recovered. So there's one area maybe if NIU is going to get something, force Penny to lose the ball, but... They're not. They have too many. They're not going to be able to shut down the running game completely with whether it's uh, Jawad Washington or Penny. If they're going to win, they're going to have the quarterback, like I said, Daniel Sekantaria. Yeah, he completes sixty-eight percent of his passes, but he's only throwing like seven yards a pop. So he's not going downfield. And this Aztec defense at three-three-five is much different than what they've seen. But I would say, win the turnover battle, and maybe Jordan Huff has a big game running the ball because he is. Averaging about six yards a carry, they have a decent a decent running attack between him and like Marcus Jones. That's probably what they're going to have to do. Offense has to play perfect, almost perfect, and have uh, the uh, passing game actually go downfield a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, but I think one other thing to keep in mind is that Northern Illinois may be a little more opportunistic than some of the more heralded teams that they face so far. Yeah, because as a team, they're plus two. So, you know, they're no slouches in, in 
you know, winning turnover battles themselves. Mm-hmm. But they've also picked off six passes, and they still do have a guy in Sean Lurie who, how many interceptions did he have last year? Uh, I have to look. I don't know. A lot. I'm guessing. I believe. He, I believe he had a lot of interceptions last year. I'm trying to look this up as I go. Um, yeah. So you know, this Northern Illinois team has some. He had three interceptions last year, um, mm-hmm. and he. Oh, he had nine two years ago. That's what I was thinking of. So, you know, it's well and eleven PBUs last year and only eleven to ten games. Yeah. So I mean, they have some talent in the secondary that could you know, take advantage of a short field, I think. So that means Chapman does handoff every play then. Yeah. <laughs> but that's And that's what I was going to say on the flip side though. Like if you look at the raw numbers, Northern Illinois currently ranks third nationally in yards per carry allowed. But if you look at who they played, they played Boston college, Eastern Illinois and Nebraska. I think that this is the kind of matchup where the Aztecs really put the lie to that numbers. So what do you think the outcome is going to be real quick? What do you think is going to go down? Aztecs, easy victory? Because they are favored. What are they favored by? Eight and a half, I think it was. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty comfortable win. I'm going to say 31-17 Aztecs. I'm going to go... I'm going big. I'm going 38-3. Aztecs, of course. (laughs) If there's any question. (laughs) If there's any question. (laughs) Aztecs. Um... Actually, we do have a low-scoring outcome. Did you see what Hustle Belt do, is doing with their 2014 NCAA preview games? I did not see that. So they've been previewing the games, setting up rosters for the old NCAA 14. Bring it back one day, please, EA Sports. So they they, they put out to the poll. 36% wanted Aztecs versus Huskies. Final score, 13-10, to 10, Northern Illinois gets to victory. Hmm. They have a DJ Brown scoring a 73-yard touchdown reception. From uh, Daniel Sacanteria, or Santa, whatever, Daniel, quarterback, QB1 for Huskies. Santa Caterina. Santa Caterina, there you go. And I'm trying to see what they have. But Michael M- Michael Holder touchdown, 52-yarder from Chapman. Um, I'm trying to see what they have for Penny here. That's all. That's pretty intense to do. Penny only ended up with 70 yards on 20 carries. That seems unrealistic. <laughs> Unrealistic. Chapman, though, this also seems somewhat unrealistic. 18 of 23 for 266. <laughs> Did they stick yeah. the old Chuck, the old Brady Hoke offense in there? Hey. Yeah, because it was 20, 2014. Hey, play action. You never know. True. Um, but I, I think, yeah, Aztecs are going to win. So we didn't we have a couple questions on this game? I think from Matt Zemek had something about the Aztecs going forward. Yeah, um, he, his question was, what is the biggest remaining challenge for San Diego State, allowing for the possibility that the answer could be San Diego State itself? What do you think it is? Hmm. I mean, it's probably whoever they face in the conference championship, isn't it? I could lean at Hawaii. That's always a tough one, yeah. And you know, I I can I can dig deep as well because here's the thing: Hawaii has um, with them like Drew Brown, Dice St. Juice. They have a good running, good offense, reasonably good defense. They well, they did lose to uh, Wyoming on the road last week, or no, yeah, they lost to Wyoming in overtime last week on the road. But you want to know a deep cut at UNLV? You're overlooking Boise State. I feel, I? I feel like that has the possibility a- a- no, to, be am a, I? to be a... Am I? 
<laughs> I feel like that has the possibility to be kind of a knockdown drag him out fight like we haven't seen between those two teams before. That's realistically that's probably their biggest challenge, but I don't know. Boise State's young defense got exposed last week. They're a mess at offense. Robert Mahone, is he going to run the ball? Or are they going to stick it with uh, Al Madison? Honestly, I would say the biggest game, like, I probably should say Boise State, but I think going to Hawaii, Hawaii's good enough for them to trip San Diego State. And I'm going to say at Hawaii is where the potential to be the likely loss on the schedule. The most likely loss, I would say, at Hawaii. That's fair. So then. If you look, really quick, hold on, real quick, I'm going to go to FPI since I have it up on here. They have um, FPI has Boise State as the most difficult game at seventy two percent chance of victory for the uh, Aztecs. Hawaii seventy six percent. And then our other San Diego State question comes from the CFB Bros podcast at CFB Bros. Hey, hey Bros. Do the Aztecs have a non zero chance at the college football playoff? Can we circle back to this question in a couple weeks? Gun to your head right now, what would you say? No. Because I would say yes. Without, I would say yes. You do. Without hesitation, I would say no. I could think of ways they could get to it, but why do you say yes? So you referred to you know ESPN's football power index a moment ago. Mm-hmm. They give San Diego State an 18.3% chance to win out, and they give them a 63.7% chance to win the conference. That seems low to me to win the conference, though. Their resume is going to be helped if, you know, Stanford and Arizona State and, you know, even a team like Northern Illinois, if they can go out and win eight games and get to a bowl game. You know, you're talking about three bowl games in your non-conference resume. That's nothing to sneeze at, you know what I mean? And I think about it just in terms of, like, if two teams ahead of them lose every week for the next eight weeks, how likely are they to climb in the standings? And so I'm not saying it's like a huge percentage, but I'm not going to say that it's zero either because wilder things have happened. True, because here's a couple of things they need help. They're going to need help because they don't have a top. Unless had Stanford beaten USC or something, then maybe that would give them more cred. They'd be higher because Stanford would still be ranked even after the Aztecs would have beat them. But a couple things, like you you pointed out a bunch of games this, over this past uh, week, you wrote an article about who they should be cheering for. Let's start Friday night real quick. They, USC uh, plays Washington State. Mm-hmm. W- what do you think is better for the Aztecs' chance? Because, like you mentioned, win early or win late. Does, what do you want? Because if USC wins, it knocks in Washington State. And Aztecs will likely jump then. Jump then. But if Washington State beats USC – they're both going to still be ahead of San Diego State at least for a while. So, like, what would you think would be a better opportunity? Opportunity because Washington State, if you remember, they still have to play Oregon. They still have to play another top ten team in Washington. USC in their schedule. Do they play Washington this year? I don't think they do. I did not have a chance to look that up, so I don't know. I'm double. Ch- I'm double checking real quick. Yeah, because they play Washington State. They're going to play. Oh, they don't for some reason. That's odd. I thought they would. Usually, you play. You skip the like a, the, the rotation. Okay, so that's different. They don't play Washington, but they do play like Utah, who's doing pretty good, but that's at home. They do play uh, UCLA, obviously, late in the year. I think for Notre Dame's ranked as well, I would say it'd be better for Washington State to get to victory now because they'll probably have a better chance of losing to Washington or Oregon or whomever. 
And plus, when's the last time you trust the Cougars to be that good? That's a good question. They should have lost to Boise State. I mean, I think he, but, I think you would have to root for USC because, you know, he would. I mean, I guess that all depends on how how much faith you have in USC winning the Pac-12. Because if that's the case, then you're kind of expecting them to climb to at least number three because you're expecting San Diego State to climb to number four. Like, that's the goal, is, like, who's number three? And if you are, you know, putting all your chips on USC, then it makes more sense to just root for the Trojans week in and week out. But wouldn't you want more chaos, more losses? Like, Washington loses to USC, Washington State beats Washington, Washington State eventually loses to whoever down the road. Do you have, say, Clemson, maybe they lose to Virginia Tech this weekend, or they lose to Georgia Tech or whoever else they play, or say Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma State, or they don't win the title game, or Penn State. Penn State still play like Ohio State, Michigan in the conference. Georgia maybe beats Alabama. I think you'd want more losses than just saying keeping USC propped up than then Aztecs pass these teams that lose that are ranked lower. Asking for too much chaos seems like a lot. I think if I'm an Aztecs fan, it does. I'm rooting for like I'm 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 picking three teams that I that I want to get to the playoff that are like already in the top five, whether that's Clemson, Alabama, or probably two of them. If we're being totally real with each other, you know, yeah, maybe Oklahoma looks pretty good too. They beat Ohio State, yeah, already. Oklahoma, USC, whoever those three teams are, you're rooting for them week in and week out. And if one of those te- three teams is USC, then that's who you're rooting for week in and week out. Okay, I get your point because if – well, honestly, we'd want Stanford or Arizona State to win the Pac-12 somehow, <laughs> which is still a problem. Yeah. I'm just saying, they bo- they both play each other this week. And what would really – like, here's what would really help. There's two two schools with thoughts here. I would think – if here's the reason why I say some sort of chaos because that zero on the right side means a lot, regardless of what conference you're from. It's still going to mean a lot because you beat everybody. Mm-hmm. So if Oklahoma has lost, Alabama, Clemson, USC – they may not be higher than them, but that zero gets you closer than it would if, say, three other. Because here's the thing, let's just say, like, I don't. We're still super early, but we mentioned Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma. Let's just say they're all undefeated, which is probably not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'll say it right now. It's not going to happen. San Diego State's undefeated, but if you have a, an undefeated Aztecs going up against, say, one loss USC, one loss Penn State, one loss Michigan, or whatever, you know what I mean? One loss uh, TCU or Wisconsin has a super easy schedule. A one-loss Wisconsin. I think it better to be more one-loss teams and Aztecs are the only team with zero losses because that looks better. That makes sense. And, and you did what no other team could do. You beat your team in the schedule. And I think what they need to do is, yeah, NIU needs to maybe win the MAC, which is Toledo's probably still the favorite. They would want to have Stanford get to the title game. Maybe Arizona State because they did beat, beat Oregon last week. And what's Arizona State's record? Have they – uh? They've lost, what, one game, right? Or two, dance. That was, but two non-conference games they've lost. So I think Stanford can maybe back toward the way to the title game. But they they would need Arizona State to go to a bowl game, which would be overachieving, in my opinion, from what, what we thought preseason. Stanford could still win the Pac-12. If they beat Washington next week, that'd be huge for them. I think what they really want is Stanford to win as many games as possible. At basically every team in the schedule. But if Stanford is a ranked team, that's what they need at the end of the season because who cares if you beat them ranked when you played them because I, I they're probably – would you safe to say they're the only team that's likely going to be ranked to the Aztecs play all year? Yeah, probably. Or probably. has the best uh, 
Like, I don't think any Mountain West team will get back in the rankings unless somehow Colorado State does if they go crazy and are ten and two, but I don't know. There's there's a lot going on. But what are the other games you mentioned to watch out for this weekend? So this weekend, beyond the USC Washington State game, I also pointed out and I was trying to do this by like yeah, I wanted to mention uh Vanderbilt in Florida. But I think if you're an Aztecs fan, you're probably keeping an eye on South Florida week in and week out. They're playing Saturday morning at 9 a.m. on CBS Sports Network. They're on the road at East Carolina. They're probably going to win that game, but, you know, maybe check in on it every so often, follow it on Twitter or whatnot. Uh, And then later Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m., NBC Sports Network. Check out, you know, Miami of Ohio versus Notre Dame for five minutes. See if the Red the Red Hawks can throw a scare into the Irish. Probably not. You never know. And then, you know, Saturday late afternoon, 5 p.m. on Fox, check out Oklahoma State versus Texas Tech. Pew, 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 pew. Lots of points. So what was your reasoning for picking some of these games? Well, I mean, some of it had to do – actually, a lot of it just had to do with the teams that are ranked around the Aztecs in the AP Top 25. So obviously Washington State's ranked 16th. You know they're chasing South Florida at number 18, and then Notre Dame's right behind them at number 22, and Oklahoma State's ahead of them slightly at number 15. So like if Texas Tech can knock off Oklahoma State, that's a huge step in the right direction for the Aztecs. That's another rung up the ladder right there. So I'm I'm trying to keep an eye on these games with that in mind. Like what are some games that should be competitive for the most part? And, you know, if they break the Aztecs' way, how high can they climb? Sure. Well, it depends what you want. Are you, if you want a playoff, yes. But really, the only team until South Florida loses, that's the only game we should really be focused on, really, who they're playing. And maybe not because I could, honestly, if San Diego State beats NIU this weekend pretty handily, why can't they pass them in, say, the AP poll? Because East Carolina is garbage. That's a very good question. Coaches poll has at, at South Florida somehow at 17, despite them struggling versus was it Stony Brook and also San Jose State. But we'll see. All right, let's, well, actually, let's get back to games. We have a few more games. We do. Right? Two more we real do. quick. Sheesh, we've been talking way too long here. We've been – oh, boy. It's going to be another 90-minute show, folks. Hope you appreciate it. San Jose State at UNLV. The line has increased. This is the biggest line in the game, over, under, and line. ESPNU, 830 uh, Mountain, 730 Pacific. Rebels are a 14-point favorite. How is that possible? Because San Jose State's offense is pretty horrific. Also, did you see what the weather's going to be for this game? I have not seen what the weather's going to be for this game. It's a night game. I thought fall was approaching. 94 degrees at kickoff. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it is, ve- it is Vegas almost after o- all. But almost October and a night game. Yeah, but it's Vegas. It's the desert. I live in the deserts. Well, not extreme desert, but it's still a desert. Uh, well, whatever. But so is this the game where I know people saying, are you going to let Armani Rogers loose? Is this really the game he's let loose? I mean, why would you if you know that you have a running game that you can lean on? Like, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage Armani Rogers or anything like that, but you can definitely soften up this front seven, I think, with Lexington Thomas and Xavier Campbell and whoever else they want to throw out there on the running game. Where, you know, they may enable Rodgers to be more of maybe a, 
you know, I hate to say, I hesitate to say game manager because I think he's a little better than that. But if you watch the Idaho game, you know, he only threw what 19 times in that game. Something like that. Not enough. Yeah, I mean, I I fully expect them to try to lean on the running game and, and soften up San Jose State inside because, you know, Texas had a lot of success doing that. You know, South Florida had success doing that. I think that's where UNLV can kind of win this game. So, yeah, I, I think that's accurate as well because it doesn't matter who – because Spartans rush defense is still pretty bad. They do have a decent secondary. Maybe Frank Gindel will do something for them, stopping um, Lexington Thomas. But what about the passing game? Because there is, I saw a couple of tweets out there like, should they be getting Devontae Boyd the ball more? And I think the answer should always be yes, right? Well, yeah, probably. But, I mean, I think that, you know, when you consider how much success they've had running the football, it's kind of hard to argue with the game plan. Like, if you look at rushing success rate, they're – currently second in the country in that regard on offense and when you consider that you know san jose state on defense is only 107th in that same category you know that's the potential for a really serious mismatch and you know to you know furthermore if you look at stuff right up for san diego state or excuse me san jose state on defense they're 128th so they've shown that you know they can get pushed around a little bit up front and if I'm Lexington Thomas, if I'm Campbell, or if I'm Evan Owens, who, you know, had a couple of carries last week, I'm kind of looking my chops at this matchup. So what do we have to say about San Jose State? Because it looks like it's Josh Love going to be the starting quarterback again. Just because uh, well, he he mentioned basically as a coach up him for the at the press conference on Monday. No word I'm on until Aaron, but I'm pretty sure it's season ending. So what is that? Really do anything if they're not going to Sam Allen? What does it say that they're sticking with Josh Love? Well, I mean, I think that he has the most game experience, but you know, maybe they're thinking that this defense is beatable. It is because it's not very good. The one thing about just with Love, he I don't think he well compared to Montel Aaron, he's not getting the end zone nearly as often, mm-hmm. and that was the reason he was getting pulled. Because I'm trying to look here what his uh, touchdowns are, but I think he could have success because. The Rebels defense, they have a couple guys, but they're not that good. But what are they going to do? Ziegler needs to run the ball very well for them if they're going to get a chance. Maybe that's why the over-under is so high at 65 and a half. I mean, because they think both both defenses are so bad. Plus, I think the Rebels offense is pretty good, though. I mean, I think that maybe our perception is skewed a little bit just based off of what Ohio State did to the Rebels last week because – you know, if you look at their total defense by yards per play, they're next to last in the conference. But if you look at it on a game-by-game basis, what they were able to do in the first game against Howard and in the follow-up against Idaho was significantly better than it was against Ohio State. They gave up almost eight yards of play to the Buckeyes, which honestly shouldn't just come as a surprise to anybody. But, you know, if you look at those first two games, it's what, about 5.3, 5.4 yards per carry, which is right around the conference average, you know, year to date. So, you know, maybe they do have a little bit of work to do, but I don't think you can necessarily sleep on this defense, you know, especially if, if San Jose State continues to have struggles running the football, too. You know, this could be a game where, you know, Mike Hughes, who we haven't really talked about in the early going because he's been fairly quiet. 
But, you know, he has a tackle and a half for loss. He has three run stuffs, you know, credited to him by Football Study Hall. And, you know, Bailey Laulagi and Gabe McCoy have had, you know, pretty solid starts to the year at linebacker. So it's a it's a front seven that may have its best opportunity to really prove itself against an offense that, at least for the most part in the early going, has been pretty much in disarray. Okay, I know you said don't look at Ohio State, but can I look at Howard? You could look at Howard. They give... They gave up forty three points to Howard. Yeah, they give. They <laughs> so give, that's why. That's why the offense. I'm not super confident in this defense. You know what else I think will make a difference in this game? What's that? Ninety four degrees of kickoff. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I mean, I think that you know San Jose State their their secondary hasn't been as good as I thought it would be. And so I think that you know, for as much as I expect them to be able to run the ball, UNLV. You know, maybe this is Rodgers' coming out party, too. Like, we've seen what he can do in kind of limited stints. You know, we had, obviously, the 95-yard pass to Devontae Boyd a few weeks ago. Maybe we see more of that. Maybe they use the play action, or maybe they just let him make plays with his legs, because why not? You know, why not challenge these linebackers? You know, Frank Ginda has been very good this year. But, I mean, that's mostly as a matter of necessity. Like, he's, he's leading... The, t- the the nation and tackles because you know I'm, and I went back and looked this up I think this is still true but on defense San Jose State has faced more plays than any other team in the country and it's not even close hmm. like they've faced 441 plays on defense the next closest team is UMass and they've only faced 359 so you know the defense just has been kind of a letdown and I think that you know, for as good as guys like Andre Chaudhry and, and Jermaine Kelly have been maybe in stints, you know, I think they all share a little bit of responsibility for the rough start to the year. And so I think that this is kind of a mismatch. It is. So what do you think is going to happen? Because I, you're right, because the secondary hasn't been that great for San Jose State. But what do you think? Like, what's the outcome? Neither, like, is this a game where there's a reason Rebels are favored by 14 points? And if we saw Utah State crush San Jose State last week, what do you think? Uh, like, what's your outcome? I I'm gonna say the Rebels' offense does get on get on path in this game. I do think their defense will play a bit better because unless Ziggler goes off big in the running game, which he might do okay, but I think it's gonna be like a 38-13 or something. Maybe I don't even know if the can the Spartans score 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 13 points. Is that possible? Well, I mean, they did against South Florida and, and Cal and Utah, Poly. I guess. You know, and Utah, yeah. But who's better than UNLV or Utah State? That's a really interesting question because they don't play each other this year, do they? Um, I don't think so. Oh, actually, they do. They play but, They play one month oh. from now. Never mind. I don't know. I just took a guess because it's West Division and it said, I don't think so. <laughs> but that's my point. Like, can the Rebels win 50-0 to zero against this Spartans team at home? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of a stretch. What I kind of see is maybe a backdoor cover by the Spartans. I do expect UNLV to win this game pretty comfortably. I think I would probably put it at, like, what's the line? 14? Yeah, 14 over under 65 and a half. So I'm, I would say, like, 41-28 UNLV wins. 
I'm going to go 38, four, 38. I was going to say four. What am I going to say? Four, four, 38 to four. No, I'm going to go big like 38, 10. Okay. I think San, San Jose State's that bad. All right, the final of the game of the night, which you probably can't see. Sorry. Colorado State at Hawaii. Uh, midnight Eastern, 10 Mountain, 9 Pacific, uh, 6 in Honolulu. If you have an, an uh, Android, you're out of luck because Watch Stadium is just weird. But if you have an iOS device, so Apple, iPad, uh, I, um, iPod, iPhone, you should be able to watch the game unless they cancel the stream on you. But if you're in Denver or Fort Collins area, there is a at least a couple pubs or bars going to be showing the game on a projection screen since can't get on TV. So if you want to watch this game, I just wish you good luck. We need a couple Periscope friends, yeah, we right? Because I don't have an I don't have an Apple device outside of my computer, and I can't stream it online, so. So this game, do you know the line of this game? Have you take the, took a peek at I it yet? I have not. What would you say the line is for a home game for Hawaii hosting Colorado State, who's pretty good? Uh, I would say Colorado State minus six. You're pretty good, six and a half. I am pretty good. Is that too much? No, that sounds about right. You do? I, thought, I guess with Hawaii losing last week to uh, Wyoming in overtime. It's not very good. I mean, they've proven that they they know how to be tough at home. And so I'm not saying that this is going to be a cakewalk for the Rams. But, you know, I do think it is a pretty good matchup for Colorado State, especially when you consider that, you know, this might be an opportunity for Nick Stevens, who, you know, you, you have your quarterback rankings. And this might be his opportunity to kind of step up and reclaim that number one spot. Hawaii's secondary has, you know, to put it mildly, they have issues. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're just looking by you know, past defense, you know, they're below average in the conference. They're allowing eight and a half yards per attempt. You know, they only have two interceptions as a team so far. All of that, I think, adds up to really good news for someone like Nick Stevens, who... You know, he's been, you know, a little bit off and on in the early going. But, you know, if Michael Gallup doesn't go off, or if he goes off for 150 yards, I'm not going to be shocked. What about John Asura, newly minted Blitnikoff award semifinalist or watch list Addy? He could go off as well as much as uh, Gallup could. I mean, that might be true. I mean, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's going to be, a, a, you know, a blowout by any stretch. But I do think that the matchup for Colorado State's offense, you know, especially against Hawaii secondary, is a pretty good one for for the Rams. Well, it is when you look at when you go when they played UMass. Um, Andrew Ford was pretty good, two hundred seventy five yards mm-hmm. passing. So secondary can be had for this Hawaii's defense, and then if you look at what obviously the Rams' offense outside of the Colorado game, they should be able to move the ball pretty well. Because this isn't Colorado, obviously. Like UCLA, Josh Rosen let him up. They did, but here's the thing: they did hold Josh Allen to under 100 yards passing. So it is hit or miss. But I'm leaning more towards you saying that the uh, secondary is not as good because when they lost to Wyoming, Woods ran for 135 yards in that vic- overtime victory for the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. But Gallup, they haven't. As for receiving wise. This has to be the best receiver they've seen all year, Michael Gallup. Yeah, and I mean, I think one other thing that's worth keeping in mind in this game is that you know Colorado State's been really good at, at moving the chains. Like they're number one in the Mountain West 
as far as third down conversions. They're the only team that's above 50% in the conference. And, you know, while, while Hawaii is pretty good in their own right, they're, they're actually third in the conference. I think where the difference is, actually, I've just realized this. If you look at what they've done as far as opponents' third down conversions as well, guess who's at the bottom of the conference? Who's Hawaii that? and Colorado State. Oh, boy. What does that mean? I'm thinking it means whoever well, can make more stops in crucial situations will win this game. Yes, yeah, very true. It's usually most games. I mean, that, right? I mean, I mean that sounds <laughs> obvious, but like, you know, Colorado State's allowing fifty percent of opponents' third down conversions, and they're also converting over fifty percent of their own conversions. So I feel like in this kind of situation, where you know both of these teams have shown the ability to move the ball, something's got to give. I'm also wondering, you know, maybe whether this is the kind of situation where. You know, looking at what Hawaii's done so far this year, they're the most penalized team in the Mountain West. But guess who's you know right there with them? Uh, the other Colorado team. State. <laughs> exactly the Rams. Yeah. So I mean, there's some <laughs> weird dynamics that I didn't realize until I started looking into it right now. So you know, if maybe if Hawaii can play with their heads on a little more than they've shown in the past, that you know, they won't erase so much of the progress that the offense has been able to make. But if they can't, or if Colorado State's able to, you know, convert a few first downs off of penalties or something like that, you know, again, that comes back to what I think is a very favorable matchup for them. I think Hawaii being at home is a big deal, a big difference for them. But this is also the toughest team at home they played. There's a reason also look at the over-under. It's 64.5 points. I think there'll be a lot of points because... The Rams' defense, they're susceptible to give up points. Unless they create turnovers, they're going to give up points. Because there's Oregon State, they had turnovers. And that's kind of how they kept that game in check and part of the reason they got the victory. So are they going to get inter- intercept Drew Brown a couple times this game, or is Drew Brown going to find John Osura for 12 for 190 yards? I think it's going to come down to if Hawaii's going to win, they can't have the turnovers, but they and they well, be explosive, which they potentially can be. But they it's cliche to say turnover battles and stuff, but the way the Rams defense plays, we saw how Oregon State tried to go deep. Colorado tried to go deep passing the ball. They kind of changed the defense up a little bit to not allow them to do that. But that's an area where if he finds Ursa deep or Kali deep for Hawaii, that's how they're going to beat this team. they got to take shots down the field. Yeah, at the same time, though, you look at what Colorado State's done. They have seven interceptions, which leads the conference so far. So it's it's not a given that they're going to be able to do that because, you know, certain players have had, you know, pretty big days for them in the past. Like Kevin Knott had a game where he had two interceptions. Joel Hicks had his game where he had two interceptions. So it's, I think for Drew Brown, in that case, it's a little bit easier said than done. No, I, I agree with that, but I'm saying that's how they're going to do it because... I get also being balanced clearly because they have a just as good passing as they do rushing attack. But just looking at like I'm just going back to Oregon State game. There are a couple shots downfield where had their quarterback been more accurate, they would have had touchdowns. That's true. But but you can't just avoid that just because they have the interceptions. You still have to attack. That's them. true. But I think but I think with the Warriors' offense, they could run more play action. They could suck in the secondary to do that. But I I still think that's why I think there'll be a lot of points. 
ultimately, I think the Rams have too much. They have a because while both these teams are kind of similar, the good quarterback, good receiver, good running game. Rams are more deep at running the ball. The offensive line is better. And I feel like if you just go to the last week, look at Wyoming did on the on the ground running the ball. Woods had 135, like I said. Izzy Matthews, Dalen Dawkins. Um, they bring in Bodie in there. Marvin Kinsey. They're going to run better than whatever they saw last week versus Hawaii, and that's why they're going to win because I think the Rams will actually lean on the running game more to get to victory. I think what's ultimately going to happen is that Colorado State's going to lean on their pass to set up the run. Okay. And I think that when you consider that, you know, at least in, in short yardage situations especially, you know, you look at power success rate on football study hall, Colorado State ranks third in, in the nation. So, you know, if Stevens can hook up with Gallup and Ola B.C. Johnson and Dedrick Clark, you know, and maybe get like a 14-point lead in the first half, you know, then at that point, I think you can start attacking with, you know, the four-headed running attack that they have in the backfield with Dawkins and Matthews and Body and, and Kinsey. And that's kind of how I see this game going. I, I think Hawaii is going to be able to land a few punches, but I think Colorado State's going to win and cover the six-point line. I think Colorado State's going to as well, but it's going to be a fun game, and I wish I could watch That's it. That's true. Watch Stadium, whatever stadium, you're the worst. Can I say that right now? They're the Wait worst. Minute, did you give a score? Because I didn't give a score. Oh, sorry. What's your score? I was just jumping ahead to say I hate Stadium. Uh, I'm going to say 42-31, to 31, Colorado State. That's well above that over-under 64.5. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just saying. Uh I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go like 38-28 CSU. All right, then. 38-28. Do we have anything else to add? Because we've talked way too long. I think we're pretty much set. We are at about hour 40 here. Holy crap. How is this happening still? What are we doing? Are we giving the people what they want, hopefully? Let us know. Give us five-star <laughs> reviews and tell us that we are, in fact, giving you what you want. Or not, exactly. right? <laughs> Let us know. But that's the weekend we have. Um, game start Friday. Sorry, this podcast is a tad late. Um, stuff happens, so you get it. Um, if you're lucky, you get it late Thursday night on your commute Friday morning. So listen to it, share it, tell your friends, and yeah, have a good weekend of football. Conference place here, and like I said at the beginning of the show, get your coffee, five air energy, caffeine, whatever you need to stay up late for these games because there are some good ones. And spend some time with the family in the morning. I guess go hang out and do some fun stuff until the afternoon, right? And then you got to shut yourself away. Yeah, if you're there for the late, it, hey, think of it this way: eight thirty kickoff, seven thirty kickoff on the West Coast for a lot of these games. Sure, find some other games to watch, but hang out, do some fun stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's still not winter yet, so go hang out outside, right? Exactly. And if you're a UNLV game, oh man, wish you luck and bring those portable fans that plug into your phone, right? Have you seen those the USB fans? I have not seen that. That's pretty rad, though. Yeah. Yeah, you can plug it into your phone or get a spritzer. Just saying, if, you, if it's 94 kickoff, <laughs> I think we're done here. I, I've done enough. We're done. We're done here. That's our show for tonight. MWCWire.com. Stop talking about USB fans and whatever random electronics and heat, but Twitter, MWCWire, Facebook, all that fun stuff. And uh, like I said, give us a review and we'll have some fun. And yes, we're biased against your team. <laughs>